took everything in me not to like do a little jingle up here while that was going on. Anybody else feeling that? Man, that was good. Hey, uh, Merry Christmas. Good morning, guys. Uh, we're excited that you guys are here worshiping with us. Hey to all our uh, online crew. I think my daughter's watching online. Hi, sweetheart. Listen to mom, please. Um, so we're pumped you guys are here today. Uh, just a reminder, we have uh, our podcast that we put out uh, on Tuesdays, the different questions on all this series. We're working through uh, our Christmas Uncluttered here. You guys submit the world's greatest questions, so uh, keep doing that, and then you can check out North Point Plus on Tuesdays. Uh, it doesn't have The Mandalorian on it, but it has Rick, so... I guess that's something, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, if we'll put him in a mask or something like that for the next one. Uh, we've also got a, uh, coming up, since it is Christmas season, uh, we've got our uh, Christmas walkthrough experience going on. We've got two more nights coming up this Friday and Saturday night uh, for you guys to join in, six to eight o'clock. The parking lot uh, is full of lights. We've got bonfires and hot cocoa and music and, and a whole walkthrough path that's got lights to it and a story and even a glass blower if you wanna learn more about that and, and see how that works. So bring some people out, check that out for us. And then Christmas Eve, we've got three services coming up. Uh, we've got, uh, what is it, 3.30? Let me check on this slide. Ah, 3, 3, 4.30 and 6 o'clock. I should know that, right? I work at a church. I should know that. 3, 4.30 and 6 o'clock. Come uh, bring your really loud uncle that's here for the holidays that you don't like. And that's like an hour of him just sitting and being quiet, right? Like that alone is worth coming to the Christmas Eve service. So uh, hopefully you'll bring a neighbor or somebody like that and, and join us uh, as we celebrate Christmas and, and all the fun traditions and things that go along with it. Uh, we've got a lot of traditions at our household and growing up for Christmas. Um, in fact, Christmas at my parents' house is long, <laughs> really, really long. And I'm not complaining. Like, I genuinely love being around my family. Uh, they're down in Cincinnati, so I don't get to see them nearly as often anymore. So Christmas is a great time to get to be with all of them. Uh, but the truth is, it is always the same, and it always takes a really long time because of one thing. Uh, we have all these traditions. Christmas morning, we get up, and my mom has made this extravagant breakfast. I'm talking uh, cinnamon rolls and ham and eggs and gravy and baked goods and hash browns, and you name it. It is mouth-wateringly delicious. I look forward to it every single year. And then when we, we get done with breakfast, we go and we open the stockings that were hung with care, right? And my mom has usually stuffed these with deodorant and toothbrushes and socks and hygiene care because mom does not want her children to stank on Christmas, apparently. So we get like all of this hygiene stuff. Um, so um, after that, then somebody will grab, people grab pop or, or coffee or whatever they want. And we head downstairs to the Christmas tree in the basement. And guys, every single year, there are so many presents under this tree that it has to gush out from underneath and just kind of cascades into the middle of the room. And growing up, uh, we have this tradition where we start from youngest to oldest and everybody goes around and opens one present at a time until we are all the way through the presents. And because we have in-laws and grandkids and all that in our family now. It literally takes six hours of opening presents. Y'all, we have a halftime for this where you go and get snacks. I'm not even kidding. We have a halftime where we will go and get snacks to come back and do more. It is an all-day affair. And I don't think it was ever intentional to be this way of, of how we do it. Uh, but my family is filled with people that their love language is giving gifts. So like they think this has hung the moon and they love doing this thing here. But what has happened over time is the main thing has become presence. It's become stuff. 
that every single year we've got tons of garbage bags full of wrapping paper and people are sitting there with, with stuff all around them. And we honestly, we've tried to cut back, right? We do the whole thing with, we draw the name for the sibling and you only get them one gift. But these uh, love language gift giving siblings of mine, they cheat, right? So then it always becomes something more all the time, every time, and it goes on and on. So Christmas has lots of well-intentioned stuff every year. Now, some of you guys, you, you have Christmases like this. Uh, some of you may not have six-hour gift-opening Christmases, right? But your, your Decembers are filled with prime shipping and Kohl's pickup and, and Etsy deals. Uh, stuff makes its way into Christmas, either by peer pressure a desire to maybe make other people feel really good or, or a sale that you just can't pass up, 30% off coals, right? Or, or it's, it's just what you know. It's just kind of what's always happened. In fact, gifts and stuff were a part of the Christmas story. I'm gonna prove it to you here. Uh, we're gonna look at Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two, first nine verses says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply distressed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him Two. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So let's sit on this passage for a second uh, and just look at a few things that we can take, a few uh, important things here. Uh, the wise men are often referred to as magi. You've probably heard that before. Uh, it's transliterated uh, from the Greek word uh, magoi that was used by the Babylonians, and it was actually used to describe teachers and priests and physicians and astrologers, right? So these guys are, are much more like Ivy League astronomers than they are like David Blaine magicians, right? They didn't like show up to Jesus like, oh, would you like a rabbit? Like, that's not what happened, uh, okay? These guys are, are much more intelligent. In fact, uh, we think that 2,000 years ago that people were, were just ignorant, that they were unlearned, they didn't know anything. Uh, but these guys were actually probably more aware of planets in the sky than we are today. Why? Because if you look up in the sky today, it is covered with light pollution. Everywhere you go, you've got light pollution that makes the sky just look different for us than it would have looked 2,000 years ago. And so uh, they didn't have that. They were constantly looking up into the stars all of the time. There would have been oral tradition that was going to be passed down to say, hey, uh, this is what the stars looked like 20 years ago, 100 years ago. And so they studied these things all the time from generation to generation. 
uh, the Magi here, these wise men, this is where the Christmas carol, we three kings from Orient are. Right? Does anybody sing that with their family? Oh, isn't it awful? Don't you hate doing that? <laughs> Let's just be honest for a second. You're like, I'm not going to say it because they're right there. But yeah, we all do. Uh, scripture doesn't actually say uh, that there were three kings. In fact, the Eastern Church believes there was up to 12 kings, right? We 12 kings. It doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. So we don't sing that one at all. Uh, scripture does not mention their names. Uh, there is tradition that says, and I'm going to butcher these names, uh, Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar. But honestly, those names don't even show up till like 700 years later when somebody wrote a paper on this thing. Uh, they were probably Gentiles, meaning that they were not Jewish, which when you think about it is actually pretty incredible about how important God's people, the Israelites and the Jews, had been up into history in this point. And now he's bringing Gentiles to, to come worship his son. Uh, scripture doesn't say where they visited Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but rather the original language here uh, is that the star came down to rest where Jesus was. It doesn't say a house, it doesn't say a manger, it doesn't say the place. Most likely it was, it was probably not at a manger. Uh, we read on, we find out that, that Herod had actually killed all of the baby boys in the area of Bethlehem, age two and younger, based on what the Magi had told him uh, about when the star had risen. So Jesus is probably in that 18 to 20 month range of, of age right in here. Um, the presence of these guys is actually a really, really big deal because they find Jesus based on the knowledge of the Jewish teacher's understanding of messianic prophecy. So they studied about a prophet to come and they, or about prophecy of the Savior to come and they knew there had been prophecy that the Messiah would be born in the little podunk town of Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem, the big city that's like five miles away that the kings were a part of. Now, this would be like the Savior has come out to Ovid or Langsburg or Evil, Evil, Eagle. <laughs> that's going on the podcast, I can already tell. <laughs> Eagle. <laughs> so the other question is, why did, the, why did the Magi bring gold and frankincense and myrrh? And we don't know. Scripture doesn't exactly tell us why. Tradition says that, hey, uh, gold would have been associated with, with kings and frankincense with worship and, and myrrh with, with some sort of suffering. Was that why they brought the gifts? We honestly just don't know. We don't know. Uh, it was, however, extremely likely that these gifts that they brought would have been able to provide funding for Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, to flee and, and, and live in Egypt when Herod was going on his uh, child massacre spree here just shortly after. So uh, the thing is, Herod said he wanted to worship, but the truth of the matter is he really only wanted to destroy. His intentions were, were about self-preservation. They weren't about knowing and worshiping Jesus. And when we stop and think about that, man, it's a reminder that, that some of the people that are in your Christmas celebration don't have the same motives that you do. Just a good thing to know. Good thing to know. Uh, what we can take from some of this uh, is really that the idea that the thrill of opening presents is very brief. It's very brief. We know this, right? We experience this every single year. Uh, for Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, there had to be lots of activity 
Lots of fuss going on when the Magi arrived. Like these are foreign visitors with lots of pomp and circumstance. Whenever they came in, they were wealthy, they were wise, they would have had enough supplies with them to travel for three years, about 18 months both ways. They would have made attention-grabbing fuss when they got in the city of Jerusalem, which is only five miles away. They would have had an audience with King Herod, who's asking where this newborn king would be, right? And the whole city's holding their breath because they're like, man, Herod has killed like his own relatives to preserve his kingship. What's my guy gonna do now, right? Lots of fuss, lots of things going on. And the next day, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are off to Egypt, and the Magi are heading back home through a different path. All kinds of fuss one day, and then it is gone the next. It's kind of our Christmas story, right? A parade of, of Amazon trucks shows up at your door. Every single day, I tell my wife, we have the cutest Amazon driver, because he's always stopping by, right? Like, there's gotta be something there. We have all these Amazon drivers come by. We have lots of presents that at 7 a.m. or on Christmas Eve, we've wrapped up beautifully. And then by 10 or 11 the next morning on Christmas, they're just in a trash bag (laughs) sitting somewhere with the boxes. Everything is open. Trash is everywhere. And then by December 26th, everything is put away at its place. and We've moved on. Ecclesiastes 5 reminds us of this. It says, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners? except to look at them. Stuff, stuff. See, I think I would argue that uh, the experience is way more valuable than the object. That the experience is more valuable than the object. That, That the presence of the Magi, meaning them actually showing up, was way more important than the presence of the Magi, the things that they actually would have brought with them. And that knowing Jesus is way more important than actually celebrating his birth, which sounds a little weird. But in fact, uh, it actually took hundreds of years before people began to actually celebrate Jesus's birth. Because the whole main point of Jesus's coming wasn't just that he showed up, but it was rather that he showed up to be with you and me. That he came to be with us. But we get stuck in stuff every Christmas season. And honestly, uh, stuff won't last. Stuff just won't last. Matthew 6 says this way. says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and, and, and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. No, no, no. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Luke 12 Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And if we stop and think about it, uh, when we're giving uh, our our kids lots of gifts, are we teaching them or or really maybe even teaching ourselves the idea that we need to be consumers? That satisfaction only really comes through stuff. Through stuff. See, honestly, there's a short shelf life to many of the presents that at one point in time, we were so intent on acquiring, things that we had to absolutely have. Let me ask, does anybody here still have a Wii, the original Wii? Yeah, yeah, some of you guys are proud about that, and I'm not sure why, right? Or maybe uh, you had that video game that was like the craze, yeah, you were playing Kansas on Guitar Hero, 
right? Do we have any Guitar Hero people out there? Anybody play that one? All right, a couple of us. Uh, what about this? Do you guys remember when people were literally fighting over Tickle Me Elmo? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was there. How about my 80s kids when you had to have your Cabbage Patch kids? Oh, yeah, well, there's some real pride there. You still got mint condition at home, okay? Uh, just a few years ago, your kid had to have a fidget spinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you don't, they don't got those no more, right? They're in a vent somewhere in your house. Uh, how about, does anybody still have Furbies? Anybody have a Furby, right? It's probably a good thing we don't have those little demonic things, right? They were possessed in the middle of the night. I'm hoping nobody's got a Furby. They're haunting you if you do. Uh, or, hey, fellas, how about that 42-inch flat-screen TV that was so cool until we got that 52-inch flat-screen TV that we've now replaced with that 70-inch TV in our basement. Yeah, that, that happens all the time. So here's the thing. We've got less than two weeks before Christmas. Two weeks. And so what I want to do today is I just want to give some ideas that maybe could change some of your final Christmas planning when it comes to stuff. Really think about removing to make space for what matters and having a Christmas uncluttered. So I'm just, if you'll let me, I'm just going to give just some tidbits to think about. Uh, and the first one is, as you are, th- are trying to figure out what the right thing is, the right thing to give, how about we create experiences? Create experiences. See, the experience of finding Jesus, that's what caused the wise men to celebrate. There is something about going through experiences together that, man, it, it just binds people together. And it creates memories in ways that, honestly, stuff just can't. So why not replace stuff with experiences or stuff with something more simple, some sort of simplicity? Like what what experiences do you want to experience? What do you want to go through as a family? What do you want to have? What memories do you want to create? See, we've had a chance to talk to a lot of you guys and kind of figure out everybody's got their own tradition, right? And I know there are some families here that, that you don't give gifts at all. In fact, you create the experience that you decide, hey, every year we're going to go on a trip as a family. We're not giving gifts. Maybe it's over Christmas or New Year or some other time, but man, we just want to get together as a family and we go experience something together. There are no presents, and that's the family rule. See, here's the thing. Pleasure is, is found in stuff. Like There is pleasure in stuff, but it doesn't last. Things get outdated or broken or they lose their mystique that they once had. But wonder, and wonder is found in experience. Not in stuff. Not in stuff. So, man, I would challenge, dive into having experiences with your kids or your spouse or your family. Like, I I have this vivid memory in my head after a Christmas of sitting down at the kitchen table with my family and just simply playing charades together. Uh, And my brother, he, he draws this card and he reads it and he begins to act out for my mom and I who are on his team. And he looks at us and he goes, dum de dum de dum What is wrong with this guy? And he goes, dum de dum de dum And my mom and I just kind of look at each other like, what is he supposed to be doing right now? And he starts to get angry and he goes, dum de dum de dum We're like, we got no idea. And he's getting more and more agitated and more and more angry at us. And we were just confused. Like, what are you supposed to be? Finally, the timer goes off, and he looks at it, and he goes, I'm a bored hog. He picked up the car, and I said, Denny, that's a bore hog. <laughs> Not a bored hog, my man. 
Every time we play games, Bored Hog comes up, and he will never live that down right now. If he's watching the live stream, he just turned it off. That's what happened right now, okay? Those experiences, man, that matters so much. I couldn't tell you a single gift I got that year, but I absolutely remember that experience with my brother and my mom. See, one of the better pieces of advice that uh, I actually got from somebody uh, was don't just buy your wife jewelry. I'm so that's sick, because some of you ladies are like, hold up. <laughs> He's lying, sweetheart. Okay, hold on for a second here. Don't just buy your wife jewelry. Buy it and take her someplace fancy to wear it. Not, not to show off, but because wearing it and going someplace together is what is truly gonna make it special. And just a few years ago, uh, my wife found this necklace that she really wanted. And so she sent it to me with other stuff. And it was this gorgeous, uh, just silver necklace with a little silver balled up thing on it from Tiffany's on there. My first thought was, man, you are crazy over here. I'm a youth pastor at the time. What do you think we're doing here, right? But I decided, no, I'm gonna surprise her and I'm gonna buy her this gorgeous Tiffany's necklace. And so I did. She opened it up on Christmas morning and she wore it and it looked beautiful on her and she was so excited and she put it back in the box. She's not worn it one time since, right? And I remember just this year, uh, we were talking about Christmas gifts and I said, I am not buying you jewelry ever again. I bought you this beautiful necklace and you never worn it. And my incredibly intelligent wife looks at me and goes, oh, should I wear that at the swing set or Play-Doh time with the kids? Or is it my diaper-changing necklace that you would prefer me to wear? <laughs> I still owe that lady a very nice dinner to go to at some point in time, all right? Because <laughs> here's the thing. Look, the experience is way more important than the stuff. That's why lots of you guys have ornaments on your Christmas tree that were made when your kids were in kindergarten uh, or, or elementary school or, or preschool. It's, that's why you know, our family, we give ornaments to each other all of the time that are just representatives of, of trips that we've gone on or funny moments that we've had throughout the year. So decorating the Christmas tree, it's like walking down memory lane again because of all of the experiences. The ornaments are nice, but the memories, man, those are the best. See, the gift of giving Jesus to humanity wasn't defined by his birth, but by his living among us, Emmanuel, God with us and sacrificing himself for us. Man, you wanna talk about an experiential gift. We get the gift of experiencing Jesus in our lives every single day. Create experiences. Or how about this? How about that less may be more? Less can be more. How many presents are too many presents? I don't know if there's actually a set number on that that you can limit, but, but you know it when you see it. You feel it, right? And if we're not careful, and we can find out that we don't own our stuff, but instead, our stuff actually owns us. Us. I've heard a lot of different people. I know families that uh, they just set a three-present limit. That's what they get. Everybody gets that. That's all there is. They just know going into it. That's what they've decided. Other people, they try, try and draw names, right? Uh, one present for one person, and then you get one back and forth. Uh, some people, one gift. They only get one gift. One of my favorites that I heard uh, was they always get for their kids something they want, something they need, something to wear, and something to read. Man, that is a level of parenting I have not achieved yet, but I really like that idea, right? Wouldn't that be great? Here's the thing, the gifts of the wise men were lavish, but they were also functional, that they could be sold to provide resources for this trip to Egypt that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to flee for their lives. And the gift of Jesus was lavish, but it's filled with purposes, 
much greater than could have been imagined by Mary and Joseph or the shepherds. What was more important to Mary and Joseph? The, the frankincense, the gold, the myrrh, or the presence of the wise men showing up and being with them in that moment? How much of our gift giving is actually driven by societal pressure? I mean, what will other people think of us if we only give one present? Or what kind of, what kind of gift does that person actually expect me to give? What if you were to give a gift of sacrifice of some part of your life that you know is destructive? Maybe it was a healthier diet. Maybe it's giving up smoking, smoking or alcohol. Maybe that's the kind of gift that you give that makes a difference in the lives of more than just the person who received it. Maybe as love is the motivation, you'll find out it's actually stronger than the knowledge of knowing it's the right thing to do. Less can be more. Now, I know for some of you guys, uh, gift giving is a real joy. Like, it is how you show love. My family is filled up with these people. They, they give because they love to give. It is a love language. It's how they do it. And honestly, that is okay. Gifts aren't bad things. But what I would encourage you, if you're one of those people, man, think about uh, how you would give a gift or the number of gifts that you give that would really matter to the person that you're giving to. You may get joy out of giving, but what is it that's going to matter to them? Is there a amount that matters? Is it the right gift that matters as opposed to all the stuff that can matter? If the goal is to make somebody else feel loved, then, then honestly, their feelings on it are what should matter. Not the number of boxes or the expensive number on a price tag. See, your worth as a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend is not defined by the size or the cost of the gift that you give, that credit cards and bank accounts don't hold real value inside of them. But rather, your value is not determined by whether you fill a temporary desire of the person that you give a gift to. Your value comes from the fact that God gave the greatest gift of all in his son, Jesus, so that you could have a renewed relationship with him. So sometimes less can be more. And I would also encourage us, uh, remove to make room. Remove to make room. See, our theme this December is to have a Christmas uncluttered. A Christmas uncluttered. Man, what if you were to get rid of one thing for every item you received this year? You get a book, you give a book. You get some shows or some music, you give some away. You get new clothes, you donate some of your old clothes. Or what if you were to wrap your presents creatively this year with something other than, than wrapping paper that just gets wadded up and thrown away? What if all the presents came in in pillowcases? Or you just colored the, the Amazon boxes in a creative way? Or, or you hid the presents all throughout and you gave clues as to where they would be and you just had some fun with what this would be? I know some of you guys, uh, it's a rule in your house that, look, if you don't ha haven't used it in a year, you get rid of it. If you haven't used it in a year, you get rid of it. One of the coolest things I heard was people that hang their clothes, uh, like all the hangers backwards, and then they check in a year from now, and if the clothes are still hanging backwards because they haven't worn them, they donate those clothes. That's just how they know. I haven't worn that. I haven't worn that. I haven't worn that. It's out of here. Not a bad idea, right? Different ways we can do things. Uh, one of the greatest lessons I learned when I was a, a claims adjuster working for an insurance company, I would walk into homes all the time, devastated by fire and water, just absolutely in shambles. People had lost every single thing inside of their home because of fire or water. It all had to be thrown out. Now, insurance companies will pay to replace that stuff, uh, and we're going to get, I'm going to get Jake from State Farm on you here, okay? 
Here it goes, right? Uh, insurance companies pay in a two-payment system, right? They'll pay you one payment to start off with, and it's a depreciated amount. So if your five-year-old TV was burnt up in the fire, they will pay you for a five-year-old TV right now. Now, if you buy a brand new TV, they will pay you the difference between the five-year-old TV and the price of the new TV. So they will pay you to replace your stuff, right? Some insurance companies, depending on your policy, blah, 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 terms and conditions may apply. Okay, so there you go. Uh, that's typically how that works, all right? And what I found out as a claims adjuster, people were consistently sending stuff in to say, hey, this was damaged, this was out there, we had pictures, all of that. Uh, and some of the things that were important to them, the electronics, a lot of clothing, instruments, like, man, those came in quick and people cared. But after a while, people stopped claiming all the stuff. Why? They didn't want more clutter in their homes. They weren't replacing the demonic Furbies that they had from five years ago anymore. They didn't need a new Furby. They didn't need more stuff. They didn't need all the things that just sat in the bins in their basement or the clothes that they actually never wound up wearing again. And it was incredible to me to find out, man, people don't want clutter. The stuff didn't actually bring joy. And when they lost it, they recognized that. See, I think all of these ideas really come down to one thing. And that's at Christmas season and really every day of our life. It's to make Jesus the center. Make Jesus the center. Christmas can feel cluttered with stuff, whether it's buying for others, whether it's that sale that you can't pass up or, or just another thing that's gonna, gonna sit next to the crock pot in the basement. It is easy to have a cluttered Christmas when stuff is the main focus. I know that because I've celebrated Christmas that way. I've spent too much or worried too much that others would think or compare. I have let the amount of money that I spent on Christmas make me feel bad because it was either too little or too much. Honestly, that's what happens when stuff clutters your Christmas. Instead, why not remove stuff from the center of Christmas this year. Buy gifts and enjoy presents. Celebrate that sale, but don't let stuff be what it's all about. Let those things be a small side piece of all of it. Instead, man, celebrate at Christmas uncluttered by deciding what the right number of gifts or, or the right amount of money is, not based on what others think or expect, but based on what doesn't pull you away from celebrating that God decided to give you and I the best gift of all. See, when the wise men showed up to Jerusalem, they wanted to know where the Messiah was born. Not because they had the best gifts ever to give him. Not because they found a great deal to be able to give to him. But instead, they said they wanted to worship even when giving the first Christmas gifts, it wasn't about the stuff. It was about worshiping Jesus. And you want a Christmas uncluttered this year? Remove the stuff to make room for what matters. Worshiping Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you are the ultimate gift. 
God, it is so easy to get, get stuck in the clutter of things, God. And, and it's not bad. Like, we want to give gifts because we love God and we care about others, God. But may that not be what it's about for us. May it not be about more stuff because stuff isn't going to satisfy. Only you and you alone, Lord, can satisfy. So, Jesus, we pray that this Christmas season, and we would give gifts out of love, but we would take the time to stop, to breathe, to unclutter, and I recognize, Jesus, that you, you're what matters. We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.